All right, Galatians chapter 4, if you will, this morning, we're going to, we've been talking about God's provisions, and we've been looking at Ephesians 6, and I want to, uh, it's Christmas, and just have a really a, 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 a more of a Christmas tone to this morning, and actually, I've entitled this today, God's Unspeakable Gift. I told you Galatians 4, right? 2 Corinthians 9. Let's go there, Okay. Uh, I misread my little note here. So, and, and ultimately, just really talk about the ultimate provision that God has given us. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. We get our provision from who, from who we are in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then we get that, pr- that, that present possession of who we are, that power. It's not of our own energy. It, it's in his energy. It's not of our strength. It's his strength, and that comes from an understanding of who we are in Christ. And then he says, and in the power of his might. Now that's going to come from an understanding of what he's doing today. What is he doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ. The message of God today through his ambassadors is one of grace and peace. I know in the world, when you look at the world today, it's not grace and peace. It's struggle and turmoil and war and uh, cancel culture and reset this and do this and that. Our job is to come out and say, no, it's grace and peace. Our job is to stand there and tell the world that God's not mad at them. Why? But God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's our job. But we can only do that in, the, in his strength, in his energy. Because my thing is, is I get up in the morning and I really don't want to do that. I'm ready to bust heads, get on with it. No, but that's not... So we do it in his energy and in his strength. This morning, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 9, 15, he says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And I just kind of want to play off of that with it being Christmas and just kind of think about Christmas here. And not the, again, we studied last time, it's not the Lord, the birth of the Lord. That happens late September the conception is, is late December here, and all of the, we looked at the wise men, we looked at the star, and all of that, and we saw that, and we, we have that information, we have that understanding, and yet he did give us an unspeakable gift. He gave us something wonderful. Galatians 4, in verse number 4, the Apostle Paul writes, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And if you think about this, he came, 1 Timothy, come over there, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What, Paul says what? Paul says, consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Why did the Lord come? Why was he born of a, made of a woman, walked the, right on time? The fullness of time has come, right on time, right when Daniel 9, the time schedule, said he was going to come, right when the prophets said he was going to come, right? I mean, everything was right. And Paul says the revelation given to him, why did he come? To save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, if you go back, come back over with me to Romans 9, just, oh, by the way, Romans 9, 
Paul says what the scripture said, the Old Testament would say, verse 4, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promise, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. What does the Old Testament say? The Old Testament says, I can't, Christ came for who? Israel. Paul says, no, he came in a world to save sinners. Well, who is Israel? A sinner. Ultimately, they are the sons of Adam. They're sinners. But yet, what is Paul, advanced revelation, Paul says, bigger going on here, guys. And what I'd like you to look at with me this morning, come over to Philippians 2, is the thought process in all of this and the thinking of it. Because as he comes, when he leaves heaven's glory, and he's going to be born of the Virgin Mary in that little town of Bethlehem, old little town, there you go, old little town of Bethlehem, right there in the manger in the swaddling clothes, the shepherds are going to come, and they're going to, they're going to sing praise to him and adoration, and then a couple years later, the wise men show up, and they bring their gifts to help out and, and to, to demonstrate that Israel's Messiah is there. That star that hung there, Numbers 24 says, when the star shows up, the king of Israel, the scepter, is in place. He's here, and that's what we're doing. But what I want you to see is with Paul, Philippians 2, Paul backs up and says, you've got to think about the mindset of what he was thinking and what he was looking at. I mean, you think about God the Son. God the Father says, Son, I need you to do this. And he says, okay, let's go do it. Not my will, but thy will be done. Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that verse is a hinge verse. It hinges back up to verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Verse 2, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one, of one accord, of one mind. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of other. How are we to have this? How is this grace thinking to, to be applied? Well, we're to not pay attention. We're not worried about us. We're worried about who? Others. That, that little uh, J-O-Y, joy. Jesus, others, you. What should our mindset be? The esteeming of others. So where am I? What am I thinking about myself? I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the other. I'm diving to the bottom, the guy said. He, I was listening to a guy, and he says, man, enjoy Je Jesus, others, you, and you're beaten out trying to get to the bottom. Of the, you're, not, you're not trying to be exalted. You're working, you're thinking this way. Well, the mind of Christ is what? Well, so here's how he was thinking, verse 6. He's, there's going to be a thought process here. Here's how God's thinking about this. You got Philippians? Come over to Ephesians 1, just real quick. I know we've been in Ephesians 1, but just to catch verse 17 in this mindset. Hold on to Philippians. The reason I didn't have today's references is because we're just going to sit in Philippians. And, uh, but now we're bouncing all over the place because the cobwebs of Christmas Eve are coming off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> The thinking process. Look at Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know. See that issue of knowledge? 
wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Your, your Christian life will not operate on the basis of ignorance. You are to know some things. You're to bring them, bring them off the pages of God's word, put them into your inner man, and then have that work out into the details of your life. We all live life. Go back to Philippians 2. None of us live, don't live life. You know, you live life. But when you live life and you go do the things you do, how are you to do it? You're to do it as in who you are in Christ. Why? Because I know some things. But in Ephesians 1, he calls him the Father of glory. There's that plan that the Father made, and he titled it Glory. He says, I got a plan where I'm going to, Ephesians 1.10, I'm going to take my son and I'm going to put him over the head of all of the universe, the heavenly government, the earthly government, and I'm going to use Israel and the church, the body of Christ, to bring all of that back under his headship, his rulership, and I'm going to call that glory. And it's going to, now think about that. Can you give God more glory? Not really. He's God. But he called his plan what? Glory. And when he did that, he looked at the son and he said, okay, son, what I need you to do is play your part in this plan called glory. And in order to do that, you're going to have to think about some things and you're going to have to make a choice. Go back to Philippians 2. I think about, you, you look at the culture about us and everybody's, I, I was thinking about the folks on the southern border. Coming, trying to come across and do all that. And, and, and I'm not talking about the politics of it. I'm talking about the fact that here's people leaving their home and coming here, and they're not here yet, and they talk to them, and what are they looking for? Freedom. They're looking for a better life than what they had back here. Okay? And I think about that. God is a God of freedom. He took the risk to make man in the, in the image give you what he has. I'm not talking about his glory and perfect and righteous and all that, but in Christ, what do I have? I have his glory, I have his righteousness and so forth. But what did he do with man? He gave him the ability to make a choice. And then he's going to hold you accountable for that choice. What freedom. Now, to make a choice, you got to have an A and a B. Which one do you choose? You know, I had a great conversation years ago with a guy about discrimination. And I pointed it out to him that when you walk up to the doors of the mall, you discriminate against the doors on the mall, wall, on the mall door. How many are there? Two, four, six, eight? But I choose to go in the middle. So you discriminated against the other ones. And he's like, well, no. I said, that's that simple. It's, this isn't complicated. So what, but what do you do? You make a choice. Why do you go to the center? I've always done it this way. Right? Okay, that's what, you, but you have the freedom to do what? Go over and push the handicap button and let it open, you know, with COVID and all. That's whatever, that poor button got worked out, you know. <laughs> that's, well, it is, what does that matter? It doesn't, my point is, is you have freedom. You have liberty. You have a choice to make. It started in the Godhead. Son, here's the plan. You're going to be made of a woman. You're going to be, you're going to be, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And then you know what you're going to do? You're going to go over there and you're going to fulfill the scriptures here. And then you're going to have to die. But your death isn't going to be just a regular death because I'm going to resurrect you. 
and then I'm going to do some other things with you. And your death is going to give life to mankind. Now, think about this. 2.6, Philippians 2.6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Here's the God the Father laying out the glory plan to God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And who is God the Son? Because that's who we're talking about. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who is he? He's God. I love that. I don't know how you think about God and how to explain him, but think about this room. Everybody in this room is human, unless there's a dog. Is the dog in here? Okay, the dog's not in here. Okay, there's a dog around here somewhere. Now, everybody in this room's human, but aren't we all different and distinct? So God is the same way. God, there's three persons that make up God, the race of God, God race, okay? Not to get all hokey, all right? Just, so you can understand that. What do you got? You've got different people who make up God, just like we have different people that make up humanity, okay? So here's God the Son, and you know what he says? He goes, I'm God. I can do whatever I want to do. I can come and go and do but I'm not going to do that. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to rather do what the Father has planned. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. He, he, he is not uncomfortable being God. And he says, you know what, though? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. Verse 7, but made himself. Who made the son do this? Nobody did. He decided. The father said, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do with creation and with humanity. He made himself. He's God, he's equal with the Father, he's equal with the Holy Spirit, yet he made a choice in his thinking to do this. He's the original grace thinker. He's the original, I'm going to esteem other better than myself. He's the original one to come in and say, I'm doing this for him. He's going to do so, I th- but made himself of no reputation, and took him upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. By the way, made himself of no reputation. As God, does he have a reputation? Oh, yeah, he does. He's God. Speak it. I, we're, in, we're studying Mark on Wednesday nights, and the Pharisees come up to him, and he says, and the, Mark writes, and he says, knowing their thoughts, knowing their heart. How can he know? He's God. <laughs> he knows that. So what did he do? He says, I'm going to not be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in here, and I'm going to not show off that I'm God. Make myself of no rep. He's got a reputation. By the way, he's creator. He's creator God. I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be something else. What am I going to do? I'm going to take upon the form of a servant. He's talking about taking on the shape of it, the outward manifestation of it. 
I'm going to take on the form, the outward manifestation of someone who is willing and obedient to the master. That's what a servant is. When the boss says, do this, the servant doesn't say, I don't think so, I think I'll do it. No, the servant goes, yes, sir, and goes to do it. Now, he's not a slave. A slave doesn't have a choice, but a servant does. A servant has a choice. I'm going to choose to do this. Now, come back with me to Isaiah 42. And just notice whose servant he is. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. What he's ultimately doing here is he says, I'm going to go and show mankind what mankind should have looked like since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, pre-fall. Here's what man should have been doing all along. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, and whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Matthew 3 says that this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Come over to Isaiah 53. Whose servant is he? The father's servant. That's who he is. Isaiah 53, if you look at verse 1, Who hath believed our report, and whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Drop down to verse 11. He shall see, uh, uh, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. He shall see the travail of his soul. The Father is looking at the travail of the Son's soul. This is Calvary. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Whose servant is he? He's the Father's servant. He goes all through John. You go to John 5, John 8, all over the Gospel of John. And he says, I'm here not doing what I want to do. I'm here doing what the one that sent me. The Father sent me. I'm over here. I'm preaching his doctrine. I'm doing his works. I'm doing what he says. So when you trust me, who are you really trusting? The Father. See? Now go back to Philippians. Because it's interesting here what what he says in Philippians 2. I'm going to take on the form of a servant. I'm going to show man what man should have looked like since the beginning. And I'm going to do it as the servant of the Father. He takes what the Father said, his word and his will, and he says, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to do the will of the Father. That's why that stuff in the garden is so precious. The words and the will are not mine. They belong to him, and I'm over here doing that. So all through the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do you see? You see that thing. He, 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 he takes the disciples, the apostles, the night before he, in the upper room, they're going to go up, and they have a meal, and he washes their feet. And Peter objects, says, no, I should be washing your feet. And he says, no, Pete, I need you. Now, this is RJ's, my paraphrase, okay? I need you to know what it is to be a servant. And this is what a servant does. Because I'm leaving. I'm going to die and I'm leaving. And then Peter goes, no, you ain't dying. I'm going to, you know, you know, and all he doesn't believe. I'm going to die and leave. And you're going to need to know as the leaders of the little flock how to serve the nation. And this is how you do it. I'm going to do this. And he lays that illustration out, that picture out. Philippians 2, 7. 
and was made in the likeness of men. Think about that. The likeness of men. Come over with me to Hebrews. Hebrews. What did, how did Moses make his coffee? Hebrews. Come on, come on. Wake up back there. Uh, keep, hang around. I'll, I'll get you covered here. Okay. Hebrews chapter 2. The writer of Hebrews, he's talking to the Hebrews. Verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Isn't that interesting? Man's a little lower than who? The angels. And that, that, he goes, I came in the form of a certain, in the likeness of men. I wasn't even made in an image of an angel. I was made in an image of a dirt man over here, in the likeness of a dirt man. Why was he made a little lower than the angels? For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and in the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. When he says he's made in the likeness of Men, what did he do? He became our kinsman redeemer. Finish that verse 14. That, the purpose, the reason, the reason he did this, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So when you come back to Philippians 2, and he says, hey, I'm think again, the mindset here of the Savior, the father said, here's the plan, and then he says, oh, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Put me in. Put me in. And the father says, hang on. We got to get things in order. We got to do, but it's coming. Hang on. Philippians 2, son, what are you going to do? You're going to go down there, and you're going to be my servant, and you're going to be in the likeness of men. He was tempted in all points, common to man, and yet what? He sinned not. How can that be? Because he's God. And he doesn't have a human daddy. And he doesn't have that pollution of the sin nature. Verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man. Oh, fashion. He's a man. And in Scripture, you're either in Adam. By the way, in Adam, what happens? All die. But in Christ, what happens? All live. Why? Because he's man. He's a man. I love that fashioned. It's a fashion show. He's putting on show. He's putting on demonstration. He's walking the catwalk here of this is what man is to look like and to operate and to think like. I got new shoes for Christmas and they got little black things on the tips, you know, and I, I you know, must be the new style. I, I'm learning all these new styles here, you know. And all this stuff, and it's like, okay, cool. And I like them; they're like kind of, they look, look kind of make me spiffy, you know. What a, a fashion show! So I didn't wear my vest today. I was told not to wear my vest. So, 
the only, the closest thing I have to a holiday tie is this with snowflakes on, which is remind me of my days in Chicago, which are, that's why I'd only wear it once a year, because <laughs> anyway, no, just, but what do you got, what's he doing? He's putting on display, he's got a fashion show going on here, he became a man, he did that, why? So that he would suffer the death for all men. He became our kinsman redeemer. Come over to Romans chapter 3. Think about that. The kinsman redeemer. Romans chapter 3. Look, if you will, at verse 24. I don't know. You ought to spend some time and read the book of Ruth. Wonderful book. We studied it a few years ago. The stuff's on the YouTube. But you take Ruth and you begin to read and understand the law of the kinsman redeemer and you go back into Leviticus and you get that. And first they have to be kin. Okay? You got to be family. Well, he's God. So how can he be family? He's got to be what? Fashion like He's got to come down here and be a man. And then what is he? He's kinsman. But then there's this thing about, you remember in, in Ruth, Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, Ruth goes in, Naomi sends her in and says, you go in there and you claim the kinsman redeemer law, we need the help here. Naomi has lost her husband and her three boys, her two boys anyway, I think it's three, but anyway. Naomi, he, she, uh, Naomi releases the daughter-in-laws, Ruth says, uh-uh, she's a Moabitess, I ain't going back there, I'm staying with you because... The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is right here with you, and I'm sitting right here with you. So they go in. Naomi sends Ruth out to work in Boaz's field to make that claim of the kinsman. And find out, Boaz finds out that there is someone nearer than he. So Boaz goes to the gentleman and he says, Okay, the rule is, are you able to redeem the, the situation here? Well, he was able. But then the second component is, are you willing to do it? And he said, no, it'll mar my inheritance. I can't do it. Boaz says, good, because I am. Because he's it. And he goes in and he performs the kinsman redeemer. Do you know what the Lord says? I'm kin. I'm able to perform the, the deed. And I'm willing to do it. Not everybody's willing to be and to do. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He's our kin. Why? He's made in the likeness of men. But he was able. But more importantly, he was willing. Come over to chapter 8 of Romans chapter 8. Just see the mindset. I know this time of year we think about a little baby in the swaddling clothes in a manger and all that good stuff and, you know, hocus pocus, mini, money mo, whatever happens down at, you know, I get that. I'm not, I have no issue with that. The thing is, is for believers, we need to know the, the true story, the real deal. Look at his thinking. Romans 8, verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Always remember that. Legalism won't get you anywhere. The law won't get All it's going to do is frustrate you. It's going to make you mad, and it's going to put you right back into the flesh. But God, look at this, God sending his own son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. He's our kinsman redeemer. So when you come back to Philippians 2, and he says being found and fashioned as a man, what did he do? He became your kinsman redeemer, Philippians 2.8. He came and did for you what you couldn't do for yourself, which is handle that second death. He, you can't handle it. You know, the, the movie, you can't handle the truth. You know, I, I, I demand it. Well, here's the truth. You can't handle the second death. It'll destroy you. And yet he says, I'll take care of that for you. He humbled himself. Now think about that. He humbled, he humbled himself. He did this. He willingly, deliberately, purposefully chose to obey the word and the will of his father. The sign that hang, the banner hangs on the back, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself. That's how he's living. The faith of, not faith in. I know the new Bibles do that. They destroy this doctrine. The faith of, how did the Lord Jesus Christ live life? He chose to do what? Obey and live in accordance to the word and the will of the Father. So how am I going to live life? I'm going to choose to live life in accordance to the will and the word of the Father who gave it to me, caused the Holy Spirit to write it down, used the pen of the Apostle Paul to do it, and I'm able to take that and say, you know what I can do? I can do all things right here, this way, and I'll be living for his honor and for his glory. Because I have the supreme unspeakable gift in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ as my ultimate illustration, as my ultimate example of what it is for me to live today in my life as I go day by day, do the things I do, I, I, you know, I think about all the activities of life that you can have and enjoy and be a part of, and I'm doing it as who I am in Christ. Why? Because he humbled himself. He did it for me. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Galatians 3 calls it a cursed death. He, folks, he died our second death. That's what he did. He came in, come over to John 19. And on your way, stop there at Galatians 3, just so you can see that. Galatians 3. He was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Again, according to his father's will, the word, the plan. He comes in and says, you know what? I'm good to go. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Isn't that fair? He, he went and he died. He didn't just die any old death. He died a cursed death. He paid for your second death. Look with me at John 19. As the end of the, of the cross activity, he only speaks from Calvary seven times. 
he comes in here in John 19, and he's going to speak one last time here. And he says in verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Isn't that interesting? The Lord is hanging there. He's gone through all of the scorn, all of the ridicule, all of the rejection, all of the mockery, all of the spitting on, and, and, and just all of man could throw at him. He never once bows his head. It's erect. He's ticking through the word of the Father to make sure every little detail, everything that said he's going to do, he does. In the beginning, they're going to give him a little vinegar mixture to numb his pain, and he won't take it. Why? Because he's got to be clear-headed. He doesn't need the morphine drip. He needs to be clear-headed. He's got to think about this. He's aware of what's going on. For him to look over and, and quote Psalms 22, we'll get there in just a second, he's got to know, he can't be groggy. He's got to be sober-minded, think this through. Then at the end, he, you know what he says? He goes, oh, there's a passage in Psalm 69 that they haven't done yet because I wouldn't let them do it over here. So in order to get them to do it, I have to say something, I thirst. Verse 29, there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it up upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the go. See, that's where he bowed his head. After saying what, though? It is finished. That's fantastic. When he said, it is finished, do you know what he meant? It is finished. It's done. All of it is done. All of the suffering that the Lord was to ever go through was done. All of the beating on, all of the, the, the whippings, all of the scourging was done. It was never to come again. It is finished. He died once for all. Come over to Matthew 27. Now, I don't know about you, but if I know the game plan, and the game plan ends with me getting the tar beat out of me and dying, I don't think I'm going to be very quick to sign up for that. But he was. See, Matthew 27, verse 45. Again, we're here at Calvary. Now the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Something's happening here. Things are changing. What's happening? He's going into the battle with the adversary over the souls of men, over the payment of sin. He's going to redeem mankind from the slave market of sin. He says, I'm going to do this. Why? Because that's the plan and the will of the Father, and I'm going to do it, and I'm doing it because that's... And you know what? In order for me to do that, I've got to be born of a woman. I've got to be made of a woman. Not just any old woman, by the way. A young lady that found favor with God because she was a Bible student. She knew the Word. She studied it. She knew what time of the year it was. She knew what the season was. She knew it was time getting closer for the Messiah to come. And I would imagine that in her heart of hearts, if you could get her to, well, one day when we see her, we can ask her. She's probably sitting there going, oh, Lord, please pick me. Because she knew the, the, the preciousness of being the Lord's handmaiden. She knew that. What does he say here? 
He's quoting Psalms 22, isn't he? So let's go back to Psalms 22. Psalms 22. It's fascinating, folks. The mindset, the thinking, the original grace thinking here. Psalms 22.1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. Isn't that interesting? He's going to hang on cross. He goes up. First thing out of his mouth, and the first thing is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now he says what? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Three hours, not even three hours later. He went from father, intimate relationship, to adverse relationship of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What's happened? He's been made sin. Who knew no sin for who? For you. And I, so that he can do what? Make us righteousness. My Father, forgive them. My God, my God. Oh, my God, verse 2, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. That's a different situation than he had in his earthly ministry with the Father. He would sit daily and commune with the Father and pray with the, talk with the Father. Now there's an adverse relationship. Verse 6, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. What's happened? I'm a worm and no man. He's being made sin for you and I. By the way, verse 16, for dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. That's the only verse that says that. That's the way we know his hands and feet are pierced. You go over in Psalms 69, and he talks about, I'm sorry, not Psalms, Isaiah talks about his beard being plucked. It's the only verse that says it's been plucked. What's happening? He's being made sin. He's a worm and no man. That ought to bring up Isaiah 66 and Mark 9, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. What's he experiencing here? He's experiencing Revelation 20. Come on over. That's what he's going through. Think about God who is everlasting to everlasting, can't die. The only way for him to experience death is to be made a man, to be found fashioned as a man, to put on that form of a servant, to go and to do this, and then to go and experience death. That's why he's the Godhead bodily. Revelation 20. Verse 14, I'm in 19, that won't work. 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What's happening here? What did he do? He experienced, come back to Hebrews 12, he experienced your second death on the cross so that man wouldn't have to. He made it so that if you, Romans 4, 5, just simply believe him, trust in what his activity accomplished, trust in what he accomplished, place your faith. Folks, you can know all day long that Christ died for your sins and was buried and rose again today, and you're on your way to hell. Knowledge isn't getting there. It's trust. It's belief. It's faith. The only response grace will ever accept is faith. 
You trust him. And that moment, he takes you out of the clutches of death and hell and the lake of fire and puts you into the arms of eternal life. He does that when you trust him. Because he died on the cross so that man wouldn't have to do, to do that. So you get a little passage like Hebrews 12. Again, if you knew the end of the story, would you sign up for it? Probably not. But he did. By the way, what's the end of the story? Resurrection. How do you, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Look Now watch, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, of, of, of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, the Father's plan, plan what was it called? Glory. He said, son, you go and do. You're going to die. You're going to be buried. Third day, I'm going to resurrect you. And then I'm going to take you and I'm going to sit you at my right hand. This is Israel's program. Okay? And we're doing it for the glory. But you're going to have to die. You're going to have to endure the shame. You're going to have to go through it, yet for the joy. The single mind, the singleness of mind, the singleness of heart for the joy that was set before him. Because he knew that if they did this, who gets the glory? The Father does. And again, how does the Godhead live? They live for each other. They don't live for themselves. The joy, that wonderful process of living for the other, the joy that was set before him. What did he do? He did what the Father said needs to be done. Come and die for man. Do for man what man could never do for themselves because if they do it, it'll be eternal damnation and destruction. Let's give them eternal life. Your, your eternal life started the moment that you trusted Calvary. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What a gift he gave us with his coming, being born of the virgin, living the earth, going through the earthly ministry, but then, man, what did he do? He went and died for us. Again, we don't really celebrate his birth. We celebrate his what? His death, burial, and resurrection. Because without, you know what the resurrection says? Paid in full. It's done. Nothing more to be done. Because death couldn't hold him. You know what our problem is? Death can hold us. <laughs> but not in him. So this Christmas, again, I know we have things going on and so forth, but I would encourage you to rejoice in our great Savior and then use the opportunity, use the season to get the wonderful message of his love and grace out to others.
and ultimately somewhere along the line say thank you and have that heart of thanksgiving for that unspeakable gift. Okay? It's a tremendous season. I get it. We got, you get pulled, tossed, and whatever. And you do what your family does. I, I'm not against family traditions. We have one. Linda and I walk the mall every Christmas Eve until last night. We didn't do it last night. But we go down, we watch, and we do it because we like to watch all the crazy people running around at the last minute. The problem is COVID changed all that because now it's Amazon. So now we watch the Amazon trucks run up and down the street. But ultimately, what is it? Just family tradition. And that's okay. It's not bad to have. Let's just have them with the proper understanding. December 25th is just another date on the calendar in our understanding. But it's another day to give him the glory for what he accomplished at Calvary. It's a wonderful thing. And it's wonderful to be reminded of that. Okay? So as you go today, rejoice in his unspeakable gift. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. And above all, we just thank you for who we are in your son that he came and died at Calvary for us. And he did it so that we could bring you honor and glory in whatever we say and do. And Lord, I just pray that that's our mindset. In your name we pray, amen.